Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. What's up, friends? Anthony Davis, your newest Laker. I'm excited to be here. Excited for the opportunity. Obviously, you see all the banners and stuff behind me. Want to make sure that we get uh, put another one up this year. Um, love you guys. Can't wait to get started. See you in Staples. Welcome, everybody, to the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where we finally made it through the desert. The start of the season, no longer a mirage, but a visible oasis in the near distance. So close, you can taco taste it. The ramp up is real, and we are here to get everything primed and appropriately lit for you. So, you better believe that no one associated with this podcast and the Lakers Legacy podcast name would even think about missing tonight's recording on the eve of training camp for some silly little goddamn dance recital. <laughs> Isn't that right, Alan? You're goddamn Wait, right. Wait, where's Tommy? <laughs> Do, oh, is, where's he at? Is Tommy not here right now? Is he, is he dancing somewhere? <laughs> Bro. Dude, is, is he performing his pop and lock routine to Africa Bambada's Planet Rock as we speak? <laughs> I'm actually at that recital right now. Oh my uh, I, God. I ran in the bathroom you real quick. <laughs> but I got to get back out there in like two minutes, dude. Peace out. Hey, man. Tommy henceforth will be known as player number seven <laughs> in my eyes. <laughs> but you know what? That's okay. All that matters is is that you and I are here, Alan, showing our full dedication and solidarity for this 2019-20 Lakers season primer. But actually, in Tommy's stead, at least for a little while, we've brought on some extra help tonight and someone who probably deserves the real medal of dedication for merely agreeing to be here and be held hostage by all of our shenanigans. You already know what it is. This is the uh, Lakers crossover show you've all been waiting for. The uh, Hobbs and Shaw, if you will, of Lakers podcast unions. <laughs> the uh, Batman versus Superman of audio infamy. The Avengers Endgame of podcast mishmashes. The Hercules meets Xena team-up show <laughs> of the century. <laughs> LFR times LLP. As is annual tradition at this point, we of course welcome now the Laker film room, Mr. Pete Zayas. What is up, guys? Pete, that's how the kids say yes these days, by the way. <laughs> Is it? I feel older and older every day. Yes. Uh, Pete, how are you? 
<laughs> How are you doing, man? Are you feeling healthy? Are you geared up and strapped in for the start of this Lakers season? Yeah, man, we gotta, we're recording this on a Thursday night. I know that's bad podcast technique to say when you're recording <laughs> because it's never on the same day, but uh, Media Day is a week from tomorrow as we record. I'm super pumped up about that. Uh, this lo- freaking offseason has taken forever, and I'm ready for it to be over and see Anthony Davis in purple and gold. Absolutely. And I think by the time people listen to this episode, we're probably right smack dab in the middle of LeBron's secret mini training camp in Vegas. So Mm. I'm sure there's a lot of exciting stuff going on right there. Uh, Alan, how are you feeling about just, man, it took forever to get to this point, but we're finally here. Has it hit you yet that we're about to see Anthony Davis in a Lakers jersey? You know, it hasn't. It's funny. This is probably the case for all of us. I feel like life in the year 2019 has gone by very quickly. But when it comes to basketball and the Lakers, it has brought us back to reality. Mm. And it makes us realize how slow time can possibly pass by. <laughs> so uh, in some ways, it's like, oh, my God, it's almost October. That's crazy. But then it's like, when the hell was the last time you even watched basketball? You know, so um, now nah, I am appropriately lit. Awesome. It's what I like to hear. Well, Pete, it's been a crazy year for all of us, even outside of basketball. You almost died, but you pushed yeah. through valiantly and are alive and well. <laughs> uh, to- Tommy's life as a single man did die, but he's alive and well as a happily married man. Uh, it's all been quite the whirlwind. And amidst all of that, the Lakers have Anthony Davis and Dwight Howard. What the heck? Um, in describing the lead up to last season, last year, you once claimed to us that you were ready to witness the litness. Oh, dear. And, well, we witnessed something, all right. It wasn't litness. Yeah. It rhymes with lit, but smells like something else. <laughs> um, <laughs> hey, but, but here we are now with the brow set for a complete redo and reset. Now this is going to be fun, curse be gone. Pete, do you have like a banner motto for this year? After being burned the last few years, are we going with something a little more diplomatic and PC? Like, let's just wait and see 2019. <laughs> It took last year to turn me into like a, I just don't want my heart broken again type of fan. So I've become like terribly pessimistic uh, in my private conversations with people. I'm like, rah, 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 it's freaking Lakers still, even though we have like LeBron and Anthony Davis, right? Um, so I, yeah, I, uh, you know, once bitten, twice shy. So I, I am definitely more diplomatic. Nothing that rhymes that ties in with a longstanding LLP theme this year. But uh, I am, I am excited, but, you know, but cautious. Once bitten, twice shy, thrice, KCP still here, let's all cry. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> Holy crap. Was that off that the top of your good, head? Dude. Uh, wow. A little bit, a little bit. I had thought of using that phrase, but you came out with it yourself, so I just bounced off of that. Just lobbed it, you know, a little Kobe to Shaq lob right there. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, well, before we get going, I also wanted to prime everybody that Tommy might be entering into the conversation at some point, so look forward to that. He's almost done dancing. I, I just saw his uh, second to last act. He'll be like prancing his way onto uh, onto the the, yeah. the show. Goddamn player number seven. Anyways, um, before we get started, I just wanted to plug ourselves really quick. You already know Pete's stuff, so he's more popular than us. He doesn't need to say anything else. Uh, we do. Please follow us on Twitter at Lakers Legacy Pod. Please also rate interview us on iTunes because the more you rate interview us. That's how many extra plastic cups Jason Kidd will have hidden underneath his chair on the bench this season, half-filled, just in case we need to take extreme measures to get in some additional unofficial timeouts. So, if you want to see Jason Kidd 
do the Anna Kendrick Cup song. I don't know if Pete's familiar with that from Pitch Perfect, but if you want to see him do the Anna Kendrick Cup song on the bench this season, please rate and review us five stars on iTunes. And also please consider becoming a patron for as little as a dollar a month by going to patreon.com slash the Lakers Legacy Podcast. And, and yeah, please do all those things because Pete's watching. Don't embarrass us. Follow <laughs> us on the Twits, rate and review us, share, donate to Patreon, etc., etc. Uh, Alan, how good are you at doing the uh, Anna Kendrick Cup song? Uh, I mean, I haven't practiced in a couple of weeks, so I might be just a little bit. Oh, there it is right there. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh. Um, but yeah, I, I think if I can brush off the dust a little bit, then uh, I think we could turn it into kind of a duet, dude. Absolutely. Pete, I have a game called Double Foul that I want to introduce you to, but I just wanted to... This game to... is a curse, dude. <laughs> I mean, it's literally a curse. But I, I kind of wanted to ask you like an overarching general question, and it goes a little something like this. How do you feel about the end of the Young Core era now? Now that we've kind of had the summer to kind of simmer about it and think about it and see dudes on their podcasts kind of losing it a little bit. <laughs> um, yeah, how do you feel about the Young Core era now? Are you still wistful for those guys? Obviously, we all want to see them succeed. We wish the best for all of them. But I kind of felt like we were getting into that Stockholm Syndrome kind of mode where we had forgotten what it feels like again to, you know, be a championship contending team. And and now, even though we're not certain how much of a contender this year's team is, it feels a little familiar in the sense of this feels like where we were in the 2008s, 2010s, 2000s, 2001s. But yeah, how do you feel about the end of the Young Corps and where we are now? Kind of almost like literally turning a chapter. We thought last year was was the beginning of it, but it was kind of failure to launch and we kind of mm-hmm. half turned the page, but uh, now it's like a full page turn. How are you feeling about that? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's I watch basketball with both my head and with my heart and sometimes they don't agree and this is one of those times right like so so my heart I'm I am wistful for the end of that era and there is a part of me where my head and my heart agree in that I feel like we could have had our cake and eat it too right like where we could have had a little more of the young core uh and they made some mistakes along the way the Lakers management did that kind of kept this from being like a LeBron and Anthony Davis and a couple more of those guys right and then all of a sudden hey we've got a squad that's a little miss a little bit of, of a mix of before and after and like I've never rooted for a Lakers team before where there were so few guys that go back beyond a year or two you know what I mean? And that's it's different. Like even, you know, when we had when we signed Shaq, right? That that was the the last time where it was like, oh, we've got championship expectations, like and we knew it right away. Or maybe the pow pow trade, right? But but like when we signed Shaq, it was like, all right, we we've got Eddie, we've got Nick. We didn't keep them for the title years, but it, I had some transition, right? And then we drafted this 17-year-old kid out of Lower Marion that I grew to love. And so by the time the championship year started rolling around, those were guys I'd been rolling with for a couple mm-hmm. of years, right? It kind of feels like we're trying to win a championship with someone else's players sure. this year. And in my head, that's like, well, yeah, so what? <laughs> you know, go go and try and win it. But my heart's still trying to reconcile all of that. So I, I am... I am glad that I will be, knock on wood, rooting for a good team. This is the first team that's going to be over 500 in a long time, which is sad to say. But uh, I, I still have, I'm still going through that. I need to watch them play some games. I need to cheer for them, yell at my TV a few times before I'm really invested. I just have to actually go through it. 
Right. And I think I, I totally feel the same way. And before LeBron James even came here, that's what I feared the most in terms of him bringing in like a lot of these renegades and us not having the same DNA. And then as I kind of went through last season with that same doubt, you know, eventually, like you said, as the season plays itself out, you inevitably just learn more about these guys that were previously strangers, but become mm-hmm. invested in them throughout this journey, even though it feels a little bit quick. It's not that slow simmer that we're used to, but eventually I'm sure even like six months into the season that by the end of it, man, like I really like Quinn Cook all of a sudden. I know that he has a dog or whatever. I just feel like these things are eventually going to connect and in the process of actually winning, it's going to make that bond even stronger, even though the years don't really back that up. Uh, but Alan, how how do you feel about just, you know, I, at this point we're kind of rooting for laundry, but at the same time, LeBron James was here last year and at least we got to see him go through a full season full of trials and tribulations. And through that, we kind of all embraced him as a true Laker. Uh, but given the fact that we don't have a long line of guys who, you know, we've even had two years with, as, as Pete mentioned, is there a little bit of tension for you as a fan with regards to that? Or are you just excited in general and you view Anthony Davis as this is a guy we're going to grow with, hopefully crossing fingers, etc.? Yeah, um, I'm, I'm gen- genuinely excited. Um, it, it's like, when I saw the Lakers post a video of all the guys working out maybe two days ago on Instagram and Twitter, um, it, it actually did give me, you know, kind of like goosebumps. Um, just seeing a lot of fresh new faces that, like you said, we may not be emotionally attached to at this point because we don't know a lot about them as people. But um, in, in some way, it's like you can start to see those pieces come together, despite the fact that we haven't seen them even play together yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe that could be some of us um, just being as hopeful as possibly, right, as we have been over the last two years. And we've just gotten in that habit of convincing ourselves that this is going to work. Um, but like you said, a- as we look at these teams on paper, comparing last year and this year and a lot of the new pieces, um, I think you can make an objective argument that a lot of these new guys do make a lot more sense. Um, and we've seen what they've done because they are veterans with a lot of credibility, um, whether that's championship experience and playoff experience and things like that, that can give us some excitement as well. Um, I mean, we've seen Danny Green make how many runs in the playoffs over the like the last decade, whether that's with the Spurs or whatever. Um, like you said, even for Quinn Cook, I mean, he's been with the Warriors for a few years and we see them play through the middle of June every single year. So whether he's getting seven minutes or not, in some ways, it's like he's not a complete stranger to us. Right. Um, <clears throat> so as far as how I feel about all the young guys being gone and the attachment um, that we we had to them going all the way back to their one years in college as we scouted, I mean, it's absolutely bittersweet. Um, so there's anytime we see the Pelicans on TV, right? It's, it's gonna be very strange. And there was a headline on ESPN the other day that said Brandon Ingram and Lonzo Ball are full participants in practice mm-hmm. in my eyes immediately. Like, oh shoot, like Lonzo Ingram, I got to read this. And I was like, oh crap, they're not even on our freaking <laughs> team anymore, but I still really care about them. And I'm very happy mm-hmm. that they're, they're playing right now. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a very interesting, like confluence of, of emotions at this point. Sure. And you know. There's, we have continuity with Dwight Howard, at least. It spans seven years, so we got that. <laughs> we know a lot about him. Yeah. And, and we'll get to that in a bit. But uh, Pete, 
to follow up on what we just mentioned, I don't want to speak for Tommy, but I know Alan and I have had these conversations with him on the side, but he kind of expressed a sentiment that was interesting in terms of, you know, with everything that's happened with the young core and some of the ways that they've shown themselves to just be immature, Tommy kind of expressed the sentiment that, you know, I feel like we've forgotten what it's like to even have a fully mature team. And, and not to say that there's anything wrong with, you know, Josh Hart saying being a little too candid on his podcast, but Tommy even pointed out that Lonzo Ball's candidness to how he approached his own workout with the Lakers was kind of indicative of, dude, these guys are kind of dumb. It's fully acceptable that they're this dumb because they're young, but at a certain point, we reached max capacity of how much of these guys we could hold on to while them still trying to figure out who they were in the league as players. And, and when, I, when I talk about Lonzo Ball and his decision-making, Tommy was going back to just how his first workout with the Lakers, and instead of just telling them, hey, I'm sick, let's reschedule this, he was like, tried to push through it and like drink a whole bottle of cough syrup and was like, that was the worst workout I've ever had in my life. Worst workout for a number two pick. Thank God they gave me a second workout. And again, not to say anything to bash Lonzo Ball, but I think Tommy's point was, dude, we had a whole crop of guys who just didn't have life experience and mm -hmm. they weren't like Joel Embiid or, or Ben Simmons to even to even overlook some of those tendencies of just being a natural, immature player. And he was like, I, it's kind of refreshing to have just a bunch of guys who are established and still have something to prove. I don't know if you feel any of that or... No, I think that, I mean, it's short-term versus long-term, right? Like, eventually, dumb 21-year-olds become slightly less dumb 24-year-olds, right? Sure. And it, the... So... Yeah, in the short term, like having your Jared Dudleys and Quinn Cook and Avery Bradley, they're all grown-ups, right? Danny Green, these are all guys. It's funny, I did a – my brother and I are going to be working together again this year to try and get more videos out. And we did kind of a dry run for a game night. And um, so we watched a game against Miami. It was this very random game on December 10th last year. And Miami was playing a 2-3 zone. And I'm like screaming at the TV – about this game that's already happened, right? This is not a live thing. The season's over. I know how it ends. And I'm still just like, you idiots don't know how to break this 2-3 zone. Like, just, you know, do this, do that. And and then, like, Tyson Chandler comes up and sets a pin screen, which is exactly one of the things, that, one of the ways you go about beating a 2-3. Mm -hmm. And Kuz, like, chucks a 3 instead of, like, skipping the ball over to Lonzo, <laughs> which is the right read. And it's just, like, on the court, it's little things like that. Like, it, it's, you know... You see the same thing on the court happen over and over again over the course of several years. And then you just know, oh, they're doing this. That's fine. I've seen that a, a thousand times. We're just going to do that instead. And so having young guys, that's kind of the on-court manifestation of the off-court dumbassery that you're talking <laughs> about here, right? And and so, yeah, in the short term, it's going to be really nice to watch dudes who know how to play basketball. In the long term, we're gonna have to be figuring it out along the way like I saw something very sustainable where we weren't having to depend on those young guys but also it's good to have some young legs I'm gonna miss Lonzo Ball closing out to the three-point line sure. I'm gonna miss Brandon Ingram extending that crazy wingspan and doing something with that basketball like at some point you become too old and then you're kind of a coach on the floor but that's really all you are mm -hmm. and so like in the short term this is gonna be awesome Ask me again in a couple of years from now if I'd like to have, you know, Lonzo and Josh and Brandon and guys like that around, because I, I, I do think that we'll feel some of the effects. They're just delayed. Oh, absolutely. Um, all right. So before I take it to our first break, I wanted to play a little game called Double Foul. It'll be our icebreaker of the night. 
I started this game during the offseason, during the dead dead zones of summer. Um, as you know, a double foul in the NBA, it's an unnecessary call that leaves two parties frustrated and annoyed. Just because you get a foul, you get a foul, and nothing really <laughs> comes of it, right? So in that sense, this is like a rebranded version of uh, Would You Rather. Rebranded Lakers-centric version of Would You Rather featuring two you know, worst-case scenarios, and you have to pick one. You know, the lesser of two evils. So... With that said, let's play Double Foul Lakers edition. Alan, you will be up first. Okay, so foul one. LeBron James never wins a championship in a Lakers jersey. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Foul. <laughs> <laughs> Off to a hot start. Foul two. Anthony Davis never wins a regular season MVP or Defensive Player of the Year award in a Lakers jersey, ever. So... These two things cannot coexist in the same realm. If, uh, if LeBron never wins a championship, this opens the door to AD being able to win MVP or Defensive Player of the Year at some point. Um, but even if you take the second option of Anthony Davis never winning MVP or Defensive Player of the Year, this also does not automatically guarantee that LeBron wins a championship in a Lakers jersey. It just opens the door to that. Um, sorry if that's a little confusing, but let's just boil it down mm. to, can you live in a reality where the, the definitive statement is either LeBron James never wins a championship in a Lakers jersey or Anthony Davis never wins a regular season MVP or Defensive Player of the Year award in a Lakers jersey? And at this point, I leave it up to the... Um, the player to kind of twist and do some mental gymnastics into how they make that situation that they choose better in their eyes, okay? So it's kind of up to your imagination of how you spin it in a better way. But with that said, Alan, which bitter pill are you swallowing out of those two? Well, my gut is saying I want LeBron to win a chip, right? That means in the next couple of years, he's going to win one, um, which also means Anthony Davis wins one, assuming that he resigns with us after this season. Mm-hmm. So that's what my gut says. But then, yeah, I do have to think of the flip side. So Anthony Davis not winning an MVP, not winning Defensive Player of the Year as a Laker. I mean, he cannot win those awards and still win a chip. Mm-hmm. It just means, like, what else does that mean? <laughs> he can still perform extremely well without winning one of those awards, right? Sure. He can still finish top three in both or even top two. He could be runner-up. He could be real close in the votes. Okay. Um, it just might mean James Harden's going to win MVP again because Daryl Morey's lobbying for, for so much. So I'm going to go with AD never wins either of those awards as a Laker. All right. Uh, you have chosen your fate. Pete, what about you? How are you, uh, you doing the mental gymnastics on this? I am super with Alan on this. I am all the way okay. in on that, man. That is that is an easy one. I feel for affirmed. Me. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. Okay. No, that's that's like look, you know, MVP, it's especially at this point, man, it's such like a political award. Ain't no none of the people voting on this stuff are watching all thirty teams on a regular basis. It's all like you know, big part is the best story of it and all that. So look, Anthony Davis could be Shaq. This is what I always go back to. Steve Nash yeah. has as many MVPs as Shaq and Kobe combined. To, that tells you all mm-hmm. you need to know about MVP. You know, LeBron, have at least having the... You're not saying that you're guaranteed to win one, but I have some hope, right, in the other scenario that there's the possibility still still out there. Uh, we need some some happiness, man. The, the last... <laughs> The last Laker film room pod we did was super fun because it was Darius and I just riffing on our favorite Lakers memories that were not like, you know, Kobe's 81 or Fisher's 0.4 shot or, you know, the 
Kobe to Shaq lob, all these like really iconic NBA moments mm-hmm. uh, and kind of the deeper cuts on that. And we just had a blast and it just got me. I'm in this great mood today, you know, talking about it and, and you know, uh, finding all the clips that match what we talked about. Bro, we've had some fun times, and especially for younger Laker fans, like y'all deserve a team to really latch onto. And mm-hmm. we've really tried with that young core to be able to do that. But it's fun when it's the team, man. And and so LeBron having the possibility of leading us to the promised land, just give me the chance at it. And and, and that's the one that I'm gonna take every time. Sure, I agree. And you know, I tried to build out a case for the other scenario, thinking of the short term versus long term, and let's say in the next two years that LeBron has left guaranteed. Maybe they make it very close and then he just retires after that. And then the following years after that, that's when Anthony Davis takes it to another level and our championship chances rise due to the fact that Anthony Davis really, you know, embraces into the who he's supposed to be, gets MVP, wins defensive player of the year award and that's directly tied to us winning championships in the Anthony Davis era. But taking a step back and, you know, understanding that a lot of the times, like you mentioned, the league and the media just incorrectly contextualizes these awards that you probably just want to side with the open door opportunity that LeBron James wins a championship in the next two to three years, even if that's all he has left. Because I don't know if people can wait three years, even if we win a championship after he leaves. Even if it's on the back of Anthony Davis and whatever new championship iteration we come up with post-LeBron. So I agree with you there. Because that was kind of a softball, Pete, I have one last question for you that I've thrown to Alan before. It's two scenarios as well. It was pretty hard for him to choose, but I'll I'll throw it to you really quickly. The first scenario is the reality that we live in now. So we have Anthony (laughs) (laughs) Davis. I'll take it. (laughs) You'll take it. You'll you'll take it. So here's, here's the first scenario. We have Anthony Davis, right? Kawhi Leonard goes to the Clippers. Paul George goes with him. Um, Boston gets no one but Kemba Walker and Ennis Cantor. That's reality. Do you take that or this updated reality where Kawhi Leonard comes to the Lakers, the Lakers keep the young core, Paul George does not go to the Clippers, he's stuck in Russell Westbrook land, but Anthony Davis is traded to the Boston Celtics. What's he traded for? Um, let's just say he's traded for Jalen Brown and future picks and Jason Tatum, Kemba Walker are still there. Mm. So I go with our current reality. So in the ultimate scoreboard to me right now is 17 to 16 and we're down one. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is, that's one of the fun ways for me to, to watch basketball. I, I love getting zoomed in and in the moment and going crazy over a single game, but there's also a, you are my birth rival and I want to like the one number one thing I want before I die is for the Lakers to pass the Celtics in titles so I reverse engineer any scenario like that based off of that right now Celtics ain't got a shot they just don't right Mm -hmm. the Lakers do so in the reality that you put forth the Lakers still have a shot but now the Celtics chances are, are a lot better than they are now so like I want to see that see it get tied up the current reality has a better chance of that happening. So as as great as Kawhi is, uh, I'm going to have to choose the current situation. Absolutely. Alan, what was your answer? I don't remember. You chose, no, you chose, you chose reality because you were like, oh, the Celtics part of this is really ripping me apart, which is fair. So there you go. Good. good. Nicely done, Alan. (laughs) 
<laughs> thank you, thank you. <laughs> All right, with that said, we will take it to our first break, pitch it to our sponsors, and when we return, I don't know what we'll be talking about. We'll kind of leave it up to Pete and just do an open forum sort of thing uh, before just, I guess, trying to usher in the rest of the season. So we'll pitch it to our sponsors now. Hey guys, so before I pitch it to our sponsors, just wanted to let you guys know, given the fact that we probably have some new listeners who stumbled onto this podcast for the very first time because of the LFR name, very understandable, or we may have some old listeners who are just catching up on some Lakers Legacy podcast episodes, make sure to check out some of our previous episodes as we gear up for training camp because we brought on a lot of really good guests this summer. Uh, episode 263, we've got a Battle of LA Lakers versus Clippers episode featuring featuring a pretty prominent guest from the Clippers contingent. Before that, episode 262, we have a Kyle Kuzma-centric episode featuring Evo Sports founder Gary Kablian on his off-season speed training with Deshaun Jackson and Kyle Kuzma. And then if you're also interested in some Taylor Horton Tucker talk, we brought on one of his mentors and good friends, Tim Brennan of the Chicago Basketball Club. And you can hear that interview if you check out episode 256, Horton Hears No Booze. So yeah, to get you guys primed and geared up for the start of the Lakers 2019-20 season outside of finishing out this podcast, please also check out some of the good content that we were able to pump out this summer with some awesome insightful guests as well. Cool. Thanks, guys. All right, so we're back. Um, I have I, I I made an outline of things I wanted to talk about, including Dwight and Rondo, hot topics to start off with. But uh, you know, I wanted to throw it to Pete first since he doesn't really get to talk to us that much. I don't know, Pete, if you have a topic that you you want to workshop, since you don't normally get to debate or converse with us. The floor is kind of yours for these next few minutes, and uh, anything you want to ask us, Alan, anything you want to ask Pete, open forum time. So I'll throw it to you, Pete. Oh boy, putting me on the spot here. Um, <laughs> Dwight, what the hell? What the hell? <laughs> that's, I mean, that's that's a good way to start it off. And that is actually item number one on my outline. So that fits perfectly. So I'll say this about, actually, Alan, why don't, why don't you start talking? I've been talking a lot. Since our podcast episode where we kind of reacted to this, man, Alan was very emotionally <laughs> torn about this whole thing. Uh, Tommy was more like, dude, there's no risk. Let's let's take the chance, whatever. But Alan was just like, couldn't get over the, the hump of just what that season, that cursed season meant to us as fans. And even just seeing Kobe go down because he had to carry the load. Alan, has, have things changed for you at all or still in that very cautious, like, dude, just shut up and let's wait and see mode? Oh, I mean, I definitely think he should just shut up, you know, um, and I think he's he's done that over the last few weeks. He's not posting videos of himself shooting three pointers and doing a bunch of bullshit like that. So um, the fact that, uh, you know, he had that one like conference call and uh, he was kind of talking about, you know, how he's hit rock bottom and, you know, you would hope that whatever negative experience he's had over the last few years has just given him greater perspective and maturity. And, uh, at the end of the day, hopefully he's, he's learned about himself. Right. And he's just grown as a person. And with that should come an awareness of where he fits into this team and in really any group of people. Right. Um, <clears throat> so much of it, I think is also, dependent on who he's surrounded by. So again, we already talked about how we have a lot of established veterans and these guys have credibility and things like that. So one would hope simply by being surrounded by good people that will rub off on him and have a greater effect. So, um, 
you know, I don't remember when we talked, how, no, how many weeks it's been. It feels like it's been over a month since we talked about Dwight, but I know it's less than that. I, I guess I've warmed up to the idea a little bit more. Um, again, there is no risk like we've already discussed. If he F's up on day one, then, you know, see you later. Um, so <laughs> at this point, I- I'm banking on others being a positive influence on him. And, um, yeah, just gotta just gotta fall in line and, and do your job is really it. Yeah, I think objectively Dwight has never been in this situation before, not only with the contract that he's on, but also this is the first season I think that Dwight is legitimately, you know, maybe not even the sixth or seventh best player. Um, Mm -hmm. And so that really should keep him in line, as Alan said. And look, that interview that he did, I didn't watch all of it. I did hear snippets where he did an interview touring. uh, I forgot. He was touring his house around. He was giving a tour of his house. And it just showed more of the same stuff we've seen with Dwight, where it's just like kind of a lack of self-awareness. So that wasn't a promising interview for me to hear, just in terms of he's not sure why people would think he was a locker room cancer. He never was trying to be a bad teammate. I'm sure nobody's ever trying to be a bad teammate, but I think just the lack of admission there from what I heard was kind of like, oh boy. Um, But having said that, I will say I don't like Dwight as a person so much. I think he's excruciatingly corny. And that's saying something coming from me. Um, <laughs> but but I also want to add this nugget, and I just want to make sure we're leveling out the convo a bit. And not to say that this new info I'm about to bring changes the overall narrative and perception of Dwight. I mean, we're well past that. But I think it's just something that's never been brought up because it doesn't necessarily fit the overarching broad strokes we've typically painted of Dwight Howard, especially as Lakers fans. But I actually went back and looked at what Kemba Walker and Steve Clifford had to say about Dwight Howard's time in Charlotte. And I was surprised that they were vouching pretty heavily for him even after he left them or they he was he went to the Wizards. Um, Kemba Walker said, look, I've actually always wanted to play with Dwight. And unfortunately, when it came to the on-court success of our season, it just it didn't really click. But as far as like how we were in the locker room, things were great. Steve Clifford, and I'm paraphrasing all of this, said that, look, Dwight Howard was not a locker room cancer for us. If he was a locker room cancer, I would have made sure that he wasn't going to be a part of this team this season and and pretty much just vouch for the fact that he does not really buy into that sentiment that Dwight is just this very cancerous and toxic figure and wished him well on his journey with the Wizards, et cetera, et cetera. So again, not to say that this changes the majority of Dwight's career where he has been a locker room cancer, just that this is another new tidbit of information that I don't think anybody else has brought up that, you know, might give Dwight a little bit of uh, relief in trying to paint a better picture of himself. But Pete, with that said, uh, how are you feeling about Dwight now? So on the positive side of the ledger, like he wasn't unsigned. No, he was on a team, but he was basically unsigned, right? Like they were going to buy him out eventually, regardless of what happened. And he was looking for a home throughout the summer. And the reason for that had nothing to do with talent. And on a team like this, there may be a night where they need a guy like they need a random 18 and 12 in a game three of a series, right? That didn't mean that's what he's going to average. But talent wise, assuming his back is fine and that he's near the player that he was two years ago in Charlotte, like he's the kind of guy that can give you that every once in a while. Mm-hmm. And so the, the reason that like he couldn't find a home had nothing to do with can he play. And so in some ways, he's kind of a similar 
roll of the dice as Boogie was in the first place, right? Boogie for different reasons, because of his injury history. Dwight has that too, but to a lesser extent. But this guy where it's like, hey, if this hits, this could actually really hit. So that's, you know, on the positive side of things. That being said, like, there's a reason that no one was really interested in him. And there's Mm -hmm. a reason that he's signed to the contract that he's signed on. I, especially after, like, covering the team and being at media availabilities, I put less stock in what players and coaches say to the media than I used to. Because, like, bro, they're just trying to get through that, like, without pissing anyone off or making a headline most of them don't want to do it right you can see that <laughs> one of my favorite things is like when one of the lakers pr people are like they go over to the practice court and like you'll see them talking and this is far enough away you can't hear them at all so it's all body language and they're like yeah you, you know you're up for media day today or for media availability today and they're just like the shoulder something oh <laughs> do i have to you know and so they're just trying to survive those sure. things so yeah, I, I don't put as much stock in that. Um, and then it's just a matter of like, if Dwight doesn't know why he wasn't generally well-liked, Clifford and Kemba aside, then how's he going to fix it? And how is Dwight going to react when he's not one of the most important players on the team? Like you said, Jonathan, like if he, if he plays 10 minutes one night, is he going to be pissed off about that? Is he going to like, is he going to sulk? Is it going to be something that he, you know, like, what does that look like? That said, the whole thing we were talking about earlier about having adults in the locker room, this is perfect for that, right? Like if it's one Dwight and then a bunch of other adults, you know, how much can they influence him? How much can they rein the issues that he's had in, especially when he's not as important on the team? So, you know, it's, man, situations can make for strange bedfellows. Like Kobe's former agent (laughs) being the guy that signed him is, is just freaking wild to me after that whole dynamic. But here we are and, you know, I'm rooting for him and, It'd be great to have a redemption story of a guy that, you know, has finally figured it out, but I'm not holding my breath. Oh, for sure. Uh, Pete, I know that you've said in in previous podcasts that you felt like this move for Dwight Howard may speak to some sort of sense of desperation on the Lakers end that, you know, they may not have enough. Um, because they're hoping to mine for the potential ceiling that Dwight provides versus, you know, Mm -hmm. kind of the safe and sure thing. Um, can you just expound upon that point and whether you, how strongly do you feel about that sentiment? Yeah, not terribly strongly, but if I'm in a place where I feel like my team is the team to beat or is right up there, I'm going to want the guy that I know I can depend on. That's one of the funny things about the playoffs, and it's easy to forget because it's been so long since we've been there. It's one thing to watch it from afar, but to experience a team on a day-to-day basis and uh, and go through a playoff series and the ups and downs on that, it's wild how the playoffs can like some di- some guys just fall by the wayside, right? Because of the pressure, the increased speed. Uh, there are all these reasons, and you see a lot of times where teams like they have three or four guys that they can depend on when those guys have been good for most of the season, right? But like the playoffs really have a way of showing whatever cracks that you have. So if one of the things I like about role players, and it's been made very clear that Dwight Howard was signed to be a role player, is can I depend on you? It's not so much the great plays that you're going to make, but are you just don't do dumb stuff? Like, can I depend on you to not do dumb stuff? I can't depend on Dwight Howard to not do dumb stuff. But if I feel like I'm like the third or fourth best team, and I need a guy who 
if everything works out, like we're no longer the third or fourth best, we're the best or the second best, then yeah, you go and roll the dice on him. So if I feel stronger, desperation is probably a strong word Mm -hmm. for how I feel about it. But just that like, hey, we don't, we need an X factor. We need a guy with a ceiling to, and, and hope. And I feel like there are a couple of guys like that on this team, you know, even on the other end of things, Caruso or can Kuzma have that breakout third season that happens a lot, right? So we need a couple of those guys, Avery Bradley, to find mm-hmm. his old form. Uh, like, can two of those guys come close to their best case scenario? Then all of a sudden we're in business. So I, I think that may have been part of the thought process. And how much do you think the how much do you think they're viewing this season as not necessarily the most open window where door they're ever going to get, but just the circumstantial facts that Kevin Durant is out for this year. Mm-hmm. The Warriors mm-hmm. are totally different new team. Um, OKC's out of the picture. The Rockets, we have no idea what they're going to become. How, how much do you think that factored into, hey, we may be the third or fourth Beth's team, but we've really got a chance here to take a stranglehold on, on this if everything plays out right for us? Yeah, no, I think that's a great point. This is uh, the most wide open that the league's been in a long time. I also think like, you know, politics on the team, and I don't mean that in a bad way, but just like we got to impress Anthony Davis to some degree, right? right? For him to want to stick around. So AD's made it very clear he does not want to bang with fives on a regular basis. We're going to need him to if we want to get to the top of the mountain. We're going to need him to play that role in the playoffs and in, you know, last five minutes of a close game type situation. But, you know, when when Boogie goes down, Boogie He's a big dude, right? You don't have to worry about who bangs with fives when you got Boogie around. If you, if it's JaVale, JaVale's definitely a five, but that's not really stylistically the kind of guy that he is. But Dwight is that type of guy, right? Like Dwight absorbs some of that. So some of it is also thinking long-term. Like, do we lock up Anthony Davis? We don't go like, no, yeah, it's nice you don't want to play the five, but we really need you to, so go ahead and play 24 minutes a game. Well, you know, maybe that gives him a little pause about re-signing next season. So there are a lot of factors in play, but the season, the league being that wide open, you know, that that is you know, yeah, go for it. Like, this is the time to go for it. That's one of the things I love about the Lakers. Mm-hmm. I always rail about, like, your gritty sixth seeds around the league that everybody, <laughs> that freaking hipster NBA Twitter seems to love, right? Like, no, go, go, go for it. Go try and win yourself a championship. Lord knows we have crashed and burned sometimes when we've tried to do that. But one of the things I love about the Lakers is that we go for it. And in that, in that vein, signing Dwight Howard makes sense. Absolutely. Um, Alan, does it comfort you... And I don't know how you feel about just the front office's decision making in general. So if you're feeling bad about that, then maybe this doesn't comfort you. But with regards to the decision to to hone in on this Dwight Howard signing, does it at least comfort you in the fact that there was some sort of process and that, you know, when people frame this Dwight Howard signing, I feel like what so often gets lost in the process is the fact that there was a process. People are like, why didn't they just pick Joakim Noah? And for me, I feel like there has to be some benefit of doubt here in terms of the front office maybe doesn't deserve it in your eyes, but at the very least, they had both of these players in for a workout, right? And I think sometimes we overcomplicate things. And what if it just so happened that they had both players in, they saw both guys and they were like, Joakim Noah is not going to hold up for the rest of this season. For And we'd rather take the chance on whatever risks Dwight Howard may bring with his personality because we know and we've seen that he can probably hold up and bang down low with all of the bigs that we know Anthony Davis would want to have some sort of buffer for so does that kind of comfort you the fact that you know they did work out Joakim Noah for some reason they worked out Maurice Spates and it, it just wasn't let's pick Dwight Howard out of a hat because we kind of know his resume 
Yeah, it seems like, if anything, they picked him based on his physical condition, right? And, of course, we're hoping that he's healthy. Um, now, do we know what's going on with Noah? Do we know what's going on with Spates? I mean, I, I think we all heard that Spates shot extremely well, but he looks extremely out of shape, too. And Spates has never been a physical specimen by any stretch. So, um, as far as banging down low with bigs, I mean, Dwight seems like he's that guy. I mean, we all discussed... Okay, well, Noah's got the vision and and things like that, and then Spates can stretch the floor. Uh, Dwight doesn't really possess either of those two things, but in terms of being a body um, and hopefully a healthy one, he absolutely is is top out of those three guys. So when it comes to the front office's approach towards things, I mean, of course they took a look at everybody, and of course their evaluation system, you, you could agree with it or not, but it's not like they didn't have one. Um, do I have confidence that they picked the right guy? Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Joakim Noah's not on a team right now, right? I mean, I think, it, mm-hmm. did his dad say that he's going to sign with the Clippers or something along those lines? That's like the closest thing that we have to him going anywhere. And then I don't think Spates is going to end up on a squad anytime soon either. So um, we definitely got the guy with the highest ceiling. There's a lot of ifs for all three of these dudes. Um, naturally, the intangibles is the biggest question mark, but uh, you can only vet a guy so much, right? And at some point, whether they're going based on their intuition and their gut after speaking with him one-on-one, they feel like he has, uh, you know, swayed them and given them enough confidence that this isn't going to blow up in our faces. Then, um, that's all we have to go on, you know, as fans. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to choose to, to give the front office some, a vote of confidence with this decision. Sure. I promise we're going to, jump off of this topic really soon. But Pete, my last Dwight Howard question to you is what happens if this doesn't work out? And, you know, a month or two into the season, we're like, all right, this guy, it may not even be a locker room cancer issue. It's just like, this guy's not doing what we need him to do on the court. And it may be a combination of he's also just being super corny in the locker room, and we don't like his jokes. Um, But let's say that happens, and they cut him. How much are you weighing the fact that Maybe they should have been a little more prescient about this at the beginning and weighed all of this in advance because, oh, here we go again. We're going to have to reshape this roster. Was that a big deal to you, the fact that we may have to restart this process, you know, maybe in December or the end of November? No, I actually, I see what they're doing. It may not have been the decision that I made. And I, I, you know, the older I get, the more (laughs) open I get to like, hey, maybe I don't have all the answers, right? And just because (laughs) it's not the way I would have done it doesn't mean that it's invalid. There's so many big, the way the NBA's changed, like there's so many bigs out there that, you know, are, you know, like, (laughs) like Alan said, Noah's still unsigned and there are still other guys that are serviceable to some degree that, yeah, maybe it does make sense, especially at that position to swing for the fences, because if it doesn't work out and you have to cut him, like you can probably find a serviceable, serviceable big, you know, we got Tyson Chandler last year who, before he died, he was very good. (laughs) The first, the first six weeks of the season, you know, that we had him. Right. Uh, And so like those guys are out there a lot. So if you want to get the guy who's like got the highest ceiling, I get it. It might, wouldn't have been my guy I picked, but I get it. Yeah. And I think with regards to if there are any concerns with, you know, just building that chemistry and continuity, for me, it's just like, well, we also don't know what this roster is going to look like by March. You know, it could be jumbled around and shifted anyways. And let's not forget that, man, that last year LeBron James was uh, with the Cavs. His roster flipped like complete 180 and he still dragged Mm -hmm. that team to the finals, you know, so 
I'm confident that even if we have to kind of restart this process with another big man, we have enough veterans. We have LeBron James, who all of a sudden started the year with, you know, Dwayne Wade, Isaiah Thomas, and then by the end of it had Jordan Clarkson, Rodney Hood, and Larry Nance, and he still dragged that team to the finals. I'm at least confident that the veterans on this team they know how to quickly adapt to stuff, you know? Dwight Howard doesn't work out? Okay, fine. Who's the next big up, you know? So I don't, I'm not really concerned about just the continuity chemistry factor, even though I know how important it is to get off on the right foot, et cetera, et cetera. Um, All right, with that said, we'll take it to our last break. And then when we return, we'll talk about the team as a whole and just, you know, strengths, weaknesses. And then I also want to talk about Rajon Rondo. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. All right, we'll, 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 we'll pitch it to our sponsors right now. Hey guys, so I've got an additional promo to the typical promos that we air on these episodes. For those who have kids or for those who are kids at heart, just wanted to mention two things coming up this Friday, 927, this weekend. If you're looking to take your kids out to a great family film with amazing lush visuals, please check out DreamWorks Animation's Abominable in theaters this Friday, 927. The first time since Mulan that we've got an Asian American female lead in a major animated film. Please check it out. The music is amazing. The artistry is amazing. The visuals, the landscapes, they are gorgeous, incredible, awe-inspiring, very Miyazaki spirited away sort of feel to it. Yeah, so please check out DreamWorks Animation's Abominable this Friday, 927. Also, if you want to watch things on Netflix, please check out Dragon's Rescue Riders. It's the show that I've been working on for the last two years. It's for kids five through nine. It's pretty much an introductory course to the DreamWorks How to Train Your Dragon series. So the dragons are more colorful, it's less violent, the the dragons talk a little. So so think of it as Paw Patrol plus Care Bears plus How to Train Your Dragon a little bit. There's a lot of action, adventure, and comedy as well. So yeah, check out DreamWorks Dragons Rescue Riders on Netflix starting 927. And you'll even see my name in the credits at the end. Woohoo! All right, that's it for all the DreamWorks company man plugging. Okay, so we're back. Pete, I know that you, you, you mentioned it yourself that this year you're a little bit more, and I don't know if it's because you've had PTSD from the past and you're a little bit hurt, <laughs> but yeah, you mentioned that you're, you've been a little bit pummeled into submission. Not that you're pessimistic, so to say, but you know, I, I've heard you say that you think the Lakers have like a puncher's chance and... Mm-hmm. I don't know, I guess for me, when I hear puncher's chance, it just means like that, it, that's like a like a huge leap for them to make. And I feel like that term maybe was probably more indicative or descriptive of last year's team. But I guess, explain to me, like, what's your level of excitement with regards to this team, especially contextualizing it with the landscape of the rest of the league, where at the very least, we know that they course corrected on some very common sense sort of things. Surround LeBron James with shooters. They did bring in Anthony Davis. That should assuage a lot of things. And and again, the, the landscape is totally different. Kevin Durant is out. The Warriors are a brand new team. The Rockets are a brand new team, et cetera, et cetera. So given that context, I guess, can you walk me through just why you're a little bit hesitant to go that extra mile of saying, you know, the Lakers are surefire contenders? The guards. Mm-hmm. The league is so guard-heavy in in this era now i mean obviously in wings are are still more important than that but you know there were times where danny green wasn't even on the court in the you know big moments of the nba finals and he's probably our third best player on this team so 
for me, when I say puncher's chance, it's not as like, oh, we, we're so far outside. What I mean by that in a very you know literal sense is LeBron or Anthony Davis or both need to go God mode, right? Mm-hmm. And that is perfectly possible. That's not out of the... We saw LeBron do this two playoffs ago. Like you said, that roster that he dragged to the NBA Finals, like this roster is way better than that. And... So, but we'd need those type of performances from those type of guys, and I'm pessimistic because we don't have that in the way of in the way of guard play. Now there are enough guys who are kind of close enough to each other, and there's enough ceiling between Caruso. Is Caruso the real deal? And can Avery Bradley get healthy and get back to who he was to where like a guy like that can emerge? But that is that's where you know that three through eight or three through nine in the rotation is where I'm most concerned because that's what the rotation will become playoff time is eight or nine dudes is are we good enough there or will LeBron and Anthony Davis together be just so overwhelming that it doesn't matter Mm -hmm. so that's where I'm at and so when I say puncher's chance it doesn't mean like it would take some miracle for something to happen just that we need those dudes to be amazing or somebody we're not expecting to be better than than we're expecting Right. Um, with regards to the guard play, you know, I was just looking through history, history of LeBron James teams, history of our championship teams, other teams, championship teams. You know, LeBron has always had a primary ball handler next to him to kind of alleviate the pressure in terms of even if we go down the line to Mo Williams. He had Mario Chalmers, but he also had Dwayne Wade next to him. And so I think this is the first time that he's not necessarily going to have one of those guys, a Kyrie Irving, Mo Will, Dwayne Wade. But I guess, can you compare, let's say the Lakers, you know, are able to construct a championship contending team. If they were able to do that, can you sort of look back in history and kind of give a a decent parallel to what kind of championship team the Lakers might look like with Anthony Davis and LeBron James? And, you know, for me, I think the obvious one that stands out are just Kobe's championship teams with Powell and Bynum and Mm. Lamar Odom because he did not have another primary ball handler to help alleviate the pressure off of him. Now, LeBron James and Kobe Bryant are different players, and Kobe Bryant was in his his prime back then and was willing to take any and every shot, obviously. I'm not sure how much usage LeBron James still wants to put on his body, but if we kind of look at those teams, can you see sort of that, you know, trajectory of a championship team not paralleling their style of play but just you know they were Mm -hmm. able to do it without a primary ball handler or a all-star level primary scorer why can't anthony davis and lebron james do it no it's it's a fair question um I, I think those teams, like Lamar was a really good ball handler, even sure. though he was a, a four. Uh, Powell absorbed a lot of those responsibilities. And even a, that being said, with this team, Anthony Davis is insane, man. Like, Anthony Davis's ball handling ability, he's a, he's a big, for sure. But that dude is probably the second best ball handler in what we expect right. to be the starting lineup. And so, yeah, like... There, I, I'm less worried about the ball handling. I have a buddy who works who works with the Lakers who's like, who's gonna dribble when LeBron's not on the floor? I'm like, AD's gonna be fine, you know. So, <laughs> so this is definitely a, a one of those discussions. What you're talking about right here is something that's you know not everybody agrees on, but. Um, 
the team that I go back to is actually the Shaq Kobe Lakers. Okay. Because I look at it more from a like, is our third or fourth best player good enough? And so when you go back to those teams, we had Glenn Rice in 2000, who was an all-star. But past that, like, who was the third best player on those teams? Was it maybe Rick Fox, uh, Robert Ori in the playoffs? But Ori didn't show up for most of the year. He was mm. reading reading the newspaper on the bench, right? Like, <laughs> he was, um, you know, so those are the teams that I go back to of, like, you know, Shaq was having 35 and 20 and Kobe was having 32 and 8 and 8, right? And accounting for, you know, 60% of the scoring. I think it'll be more like that, whereas those Kobe Pow teams also had Bynum, also had Lamar Odom. You had some scoring pop off of the bench um, in in guys in in that respect. So uh, I think it'll be more like that. And that is the type of parallel. Now, if the Lakers are going to be that type of team, need to defend. That's what Fox brought to the table. That's what Ori brought to the table. And that's really going to be the place that I'm really looking at because we can talk, do all these podcasts and talk all about it. But if you've got LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and you're good on defense, you are like a lot of the way there to winning an NBA title. So that's going to be one of the first places where I'm looking is how good is this team on the defensive end? Because if so, they can kind of emulate that Shaq Kobe team in a slightly different way. Sure. Uh, Alan, do you have anything to add? Any, or, or even just like in terms of what you're excited about or concerned about with regards to the overall construction of this roster? Um, <clears throat> no, I mean, I do really like the, the Shaq and Kobe comparison. It's always easy to side with Pete. But um, yeah, when you think about it, who, okay, who else was handling the ball? Like, okay, Ron Harper. Right. He was a guy that brought the ball up the floor. But even in his second year, he barely played because he was getting freaking old. Um, you have Derek Fisher coming off the bench, and obviously he handled some point guard responsibilities, but really it was just bringing it up the floor and, and getting things kind of flowing like that. So um, that's a good point that Pete makes. It's like, who was the third best player on those early 2000s teams? And um, it, it's something that, yeah, we wanted Glenn Rice to be like part of that big three that first year, I suppose, but he's he's like a knockdown shooter and let's just hope that uh some guys on the team can can fill that type of role and hit those timely shots this season. And um <clears throat> I mean, we think of like Brian Shaw, right? How many iconic moments did he have, but in terms of what he brought on a a nightly basis in terms of consistency um and and overall like contribution like, i couldn't tell you uh what his stat line was and that sort of thing but he threw a lot of lobs of shack from the corner he hit a couple threes from the wing and that's uh what he's going to be remembered for as far as his legacy goes so um yeah i, I really do like that parallel so that's shoot man if, if we can even get like 60 percent or 70 percent of that i'd be stoked yeah, Alan, you know, we haven't given this guy enough due credit because his acquisition happened like at the beginning of summer. But I don't know if you've recently over the course of this summer and, and just how dead it's been, watched some more Anthony Davis highlights. But has it hit you yet that Anthony Davis Only is every about... night before I go to sleep, dude. <laughs> Only every night. Awesome. Because I started, you know, as I've gone through doing that, it's just I, I, I think it hit me that. And it's one of those pinch yourself kind of moments where I I really don't think we're prepared for what we're about to see with Anthony Davis health provided. Because even just the few clips that I've seen on both ends of the court, he he really is a unicorn sort of player. And it's... Bro, it's, <laughs> he's absurd. Like, <laughs> so I, I, I almost tweeted this the other day and it, I, I didn't because it was so absurd because... So I'm working on this Anthony Davis defense video mm-hmm. right now that I'll, I'll have out in the next week. And like I wanted to be like, you guys, you guys, 
Anthony Davis is so good on defense as though that's some like <laughs> breaking news to anybody, right? Like, but just like watching the tape is like, holy crap. Yeah. Like w- exactly what that means and the versatility of it. And just this like, oh, and he's giving you like 28 and 12 on the other end while he's got this insane motor and he's freaking 26. We're getting him right at the beginning of his prime. Yeah. So yeah, that <laughs> that's something that like it. It, it won't hit us till we see it on the court. And we can fantasize about it. We can watch Pelicans tape all we want. But when we see it in purple and gold, that's really going to be the only time that it becomes real to us. Yeah, and we've had such a gap from even seeing like players in their prime in Lakers jerseys doing things that we've only, we could only ever dream of or imagine pretty much since Kobe, right? And Anthony Davis just... Unlike Kobe, you know, Kobe always mentioned how he had smaller hands than everybody else. He, he wasn't like a physical, physical freak, but that's exactly mm-hmm. what Anthony Davis is. So you put that just with like the skill and talent yeah. he already has. And it's just a combination of. Yeah, I mean, it, I, I Dude, don't our last really physical have freak was yeah. Shaq. Yeah, I mean, you're right. Exactly. Where he was doing things that were kind of inexplicable and unexplainable. You could, you only, you pretty much had to watch it in person or see it for yourself to really begin to explain what that dominance felt like, right? Um, yeah, okay. So one thing that I'm, I am excited about with regards to one, you know, the, the gravity that Anthony Davis is going to bring with him along with LeBron James is, you know, the, the Lakers course corrected with their three-point shooters, um, which I'm very glad about. Alan, I don't know if you're feeling a little PTSD just being a Lakers fan, because I don't think we've ever seen a really proficient three-point shooting Lakers team. You know, we always talk about it and, but it never actually happened. So I don't know if that's sort of weighing on you or if you're actually you actually look at the roster, see the percentages and you're like, wow, this is going to be a good three point shooting team. But I don't I'll believe it when I see it sort of deal. I think the only time I can remember us even being a marginally good three point shooting team is when like D'Antoni was here and Nick Young, Jordan Farmer were like mm-hmm. just popping threes. And then maybe before that, that first year without Shaq, when we randomly had Jermaine Jones and. We were just popping threes left and right as well. (laughs) But those teams were not winning teams, you know? So with regards to seeing a Lakers team that hits three-pointers at a very good clip and is also a winning team, we haven't yet seen it. So, Alan, is some of that PTSD weighing on you? Or are you actually excited that, no, this makes sense on paper, so let's see it happen? I am irrationally, cautiously optimistic. (laughs) Um Because, you know, you like last year, it's like, oh, wow, Reggie Bullock, he could shoot the lights out. And then he was trash, you know, from, as, from a shooting standpoint. Um, yeah, we've seen it time and time again where, okay, this guy, plug him in, play, and then it just it doesn't work for some reason. That is, again, completely inexplicable. And, I mean, as a huge, like, Dodger fan even, I, I think of guys that they acquire towards the end of the season for a playoff push. And, oh, man, this guy's batting average is so high. And then he can't freaking hit the ball for crap. And it's like, what the hell? Like, what is it about? And maybe every single team actually experiences this, and we are not unique in that sense. But um, again, yeah, that's why I would describe my my outlook on things. So I'm uh, here's to hoping. Okay, so I'm gonna throw some stats out to you, and then Pete, you give me your view on how, whether or not you have some tempered excitement about the potential three point shooting acumen of this team. So in terms of career three point shooting percentages, Quinn Cook is a 42% career three point shooter. Danny Green, 40%. Troy Daniels, 40%. He might not get very many minutes, but that's his career three point shooting percentage. Jared Dudley, 39%. Avery Bradley, 36%. Although he also has had a spattering of 38, 39% seasons. Um, 
And I got this stat from at cap a 1408. He said, the Lakers have seven players on their roster who have made seven or more threes in a single game. I guess that's less Im- less impressive in this day and age to have that many players hit that much. But I mean, I guess it's still impressive to have that many players on one team do that. Um, with regards to the Lakers role players best three point percentage seasons where they hit at least 1.4 threes. We've got Troy Daniels hitting 48% one season where he made 1.43s. Alex Caruso, I'm adding in here, even though he only hit one three, but he shot 48% last year. Jared Dudley, he hit 1.53s one season and shot 46%. Danny Green last year, 2.53s at 45%. Quinn Cook, 1.43s, 44%. Avery Bradley hit two threes, 39%. KCP, two threes, 38%. That was two years ago. Kyle Kuzma, his rookie year, hit two threes, 37%. So taking into account all of those things and the gravity that LeBron James and Anthony Davis and honestly even Rajon Rondo provides because you surround Rondo with shooters and that's probably the best case scenario for him even providing value. Pete, how excited or maybe not excited are you about the potential three-point shooting of this team? My, my eyes glazed over during all of that because I've been hurt. <laughs> sure, I've been hurt no, far fair. too many times, <laughs> and I need to learn how to hope again. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, until proven otherwise, they're all going to sh- shoot 32.7% yes, from exactly. three. And that's what's going to happen, and if that's not what happens, I will be happy. But I've I've learned. Oh, no, that's that's totally fair, and that's why I started this whole conversation off with that qualifier that we've been hurt before. Is that the title to this episode? We've been hurt before, so let's wait and see. <laughs> it's so sad. It. We were so lit before for such smaller things, and we've actually got a lit-worthy team, and we're just like, I don't know, guys. <laughs> it's so funny, man, but that's what this Lakers team will do to you throughout the years, right? It's It's pretty funny. Alan, let's talk about Kyle Kuzma for a bit. I mean, everybody knows he's the X Factor. He's the key. Talking about his hair? Talking about his hair. That is the (laughs) X Factor. Oh, so Pete's got to wrap it up pretty soon. So let's just talk about Kyle Kuzma real quick. It's it's so funny to me, the unfair scrutiny that this kid has been put under simply because he's not Lonzo Ball or Brandon Ingram. And, you know, because the outside media and quote unquote casual fans seem to be enthralled and caught up by his flashiness. Um, You know, the way some people have talked about Kyle Kuzma, like he's like this hollow, all flash, no substance, 6'9 version of Jordan Clarkson. You'd think his stats and analytics were terrible. And even with me admitting and recognizing that he regressed last year, it's absolutely incredible that the kid had a quote unquote down year and still averaged 19 points on 46% from the field, improved a bit defensively, and flashed more of his playmaking skill when given the chance to. And yet, I feel like so many fans have just been down on him. But I guess given the fact that he had a down year and he's been able to do all these things and even advanced analytics-wise been at the top of a lot of categories, I guess that's a testament to just his natural talent. Um, But yeah, with regards to your hopes for Kyle Kuzma this year, um, where do you stand with him? Uh, I think there's naturally going to be an adjustment period, right? Because this is the first time he's playing in a situation like this. Um, so thank goodness he flashed a lot of playmaking abilities because one would think, uh, he'll have that opportunity even more so this year. Uh, that being said, you know, staggering the lineups, of course, if he's asked to provide that scoring punch and whatnot, then we have seen him do that before. But I do think to start, there may be a little bit of, um, I don't want to call it like a rough patch, but just everybody getting to know each other, right? And understanding what their roles are and, and developing that chemistry and, and, and fitting in. But, um, I think 
ultimately it's going to go well. I think like Pete said, that third year, um, I, I think that there's just a lot of maturation and learning that, that can come with that. And, you know, I wish he had more of an opportunity with team USA, uh, just to get mm-hmm. out there and play. Right. But, um, at least he, he was there for a little while. Uh, so hopefully he learned something from that, but I'm, I'm optimistic. I, I think he's going to do well. And, uh, as far as all the flash and stuff like that, you're right. If he didn't put him, if he doesn't put himself out there in such like flamboyant ways, uh, and doesn't draw attention to himself like that, then there's probably a completely different narrative on him. So yeah, who gives a crap about all that stuff? I'm, I'm very hopeful for him. And and part of that is like he's the one that survived. So if sure. your favorite young guy was somebody else, like you're mm. like, it should have been you, you know, <laughs> like when you're like watching Kuzma, right? So I, I think that plays a part into it too. You know, I think the most ironic part about everybody who dislikes how much Kyle Kuzma puts himself out on social media and all the self-promotion and stuff, and I guess the hypocritical part is how did any of us get to the place we're at right now? even being able to talk about basketball and even having a single person give a damn right? <laughs> through social media. I mean, <laughs> sure. And self-promotion. Yeah, yes. Even uh, even us giving the thought that I think Kyle Kuzma's self-promotion sucks is self-promotion in and of itself. You know, so I just, that's why I've always just taken a step back from that and be like, dude, let the kid live. He's still a kid. Uh, but, but Pete, what are your thoughts on, on Kyle Kuzma's potential big year here? I, I'm with Alan on this in that, like, I could see it starting out a little bit slow because it's such a role change for him, right? Like he was... Two, he was, you know, 1A, 1B with Brandon in his rookie year in terms of scoring. And then as, uh, you know, last year it was 2A and 2B with Brandon, uh, you know, next to LeBron. And now he's clearly the, the third guy in, in, as a scorer. And that, that's just different. The, the, the difference between one and two is probably smaller than it is with two and three in terms of touches. Now, the good part is, is like so much of what he does well as a scorer is off of the ball and he can, he can do what he does best alongside LeBron, alongside Anthony Davis. Um, it all comes down if he can shoot on the mm-hmm. offensive end. If he is shooting 32.7% from three, like I expect him and all <laughs> Lakers alleged three-point shooters to shoot, um, that's going to be a problem. But um, it, And then on the defensive end, like can he be capable? Can he be adequate? I think the way that the roster is set up, like they're going to need Kuz to play more wing than he has in the past, which mm-hmm. I think is a really good thing. Uh, just, you know, with the guys that we have on the roster, I think that that's where the hole is. So that's where he'll kind of fill that need. And I think that's good. If he could just be average wing defender type of guy, like, yeah, I think, you know, there's a lot of potential there. But I, I think it's something that it's more like an ask me in January or ask me sure. in February type of thing. I'm not going to kill the dude if he doesn't hit the ground running, having to make this pretty significant role change. Yeah. And I think, you know, from last year, I don't know if you agree with this thought or not, but I feel like with regards to Kuzma and Brandon Ingram, and I've made this analogy before, I felt like the Lakers used Brandon Ingram almost as that every down running back. And Kyle Kuzma was sort of the pass catching back. But when oh, you mm-hmm. saw Brandon Ingram out of the lineup, and especially during the second half of the season when Kyle Kuzma was afforded the opportunity to bring the ball up court, call for a pick and roll, you know, actually run plays out of the post where that's, I feel like, where his passing really shines. That's when you saw the assists go up. So for me, I feel like people are like, I wish Kyle Kuzma would pass the ball more. He seems a bit selfish. For me, I feel like they just put him into that role where he's the pass catching back and he knows exactly what he's supposed to do. Off ball cutting, catch and shoot threes off screens and just score, score, score. That was kind of his mentality. But you saw when he was even given a little bit of chance to survey the floor the way 
that Brandon Ingram was, he's not bad at passing. You know, he has vision. It's just he often wasn't afforded that opportunity. And even just in terms of the stylistic way that both play, it's totally different. Kyle Kuzma's like, bang, bang, bang. Let's get the ball out of my hands. Let's get the ball to, to this next person. Let's put it up quickly. Brandon Ingram is like, let's survey the floor for the next 23 seconds and see what happens. Um, but yeah, I, I have hope that in certain lineups coming off the bench, Kyle Kuzma and Anthony Davis may even have some sort of two-man game between them that will manifest itself and we'll be able to see some of those, you know, five, six assist games that Kyle Kuzma had last season. Um, with that said, Pete, thanks so much for hopping on. You're exiting at the right time because I was about to bring up Rajon Rondo and I was about to play <laughs> devil's advocate for him. I had done so much research. Maybe I should have started off with it, but it's all good. Uh, we appreciate your time. And, and yeah, we're excited for this season, even in spite of the fact that you can tell that we've all been scarred and hurt and have some PTSD and trauma from all of it. But again, thanks for hopping on the Lakers Legacy Podcast for like, I think this is like 2006, 17, eight, fourth, fourth year in a row. So Yeah, that's oh, right. Dang. That's right. Now it's been a, I, I love you guys. I love the, you have a, carved out like uh, your lane and um it's been great to see you know your your guys's growth and your like just i i love that you guys have your own individual style that is very genuine this mm-hmm. this pod has always struck me as really probably the most genuine of all of us mm-hmm. and and like you really follow what what you believe in your style and you know you're you're very well prepared i don't know i could go on and on you know you guys are <laughs> my first the first guest pod i ever did and um uh i just really appreciate you guys and you know no matter what happens with the stuff that i'm doing and all of that like i always love coming back home here so thank you Hey, Pete, we really appreciate that. The same cannot be said for player number seven, who his head was somewhere else tonight. But you know what? It's okay. Uh, we'll catch you next time. And it's uh, it's lit, right, Alan? It's, it's lit. It's lit? It's lit. <laughs> All right. See you, Pete. Take care, guys. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.